like I said a couple minutes ago, my name is Thomas Obenhaus, and I am from the uh, Oklahoma City Church of Christ. And uh, I, I used to live in Dallas, so I love being love being back down down here. It's great. But um, today we are getting into deeper Bible study, and the name of the class is uh, Hidden Treasure: Digging Deeper. And uh, like I said, I really like that analogy, the idea of uh, of digging. You know, because at least for the sake of my analogy I'm about to do, you got three stages of digging for a treasure. You got your tools, you know, breaking ground, you got the actual back breaking labor of digging, and then you got when you get the treasure out, what do you do with it? You know? And so that's very generally speaking, that's kind of the stuff we're gonna be talking about today in a spiritual sense. But um today I am joined by uh Kamir. She has a uh master's in theological studies. And also uh, Mark, and he has two degrees in sacred literature. And uh, and I have gone through the public education system of Warwick, Rhode Island. So that's that's, uh, that's that's what I got for you. So uh, we'll we'll see what we do. But um, so like you know, kind of like what I talked about, we're covering a, a spectrum of stuff today. You know, basically like if you're new to studying the Bible deeper, if you don't know where to get started. We got some like one-on-one stuff for you that I'm going to be covering today, and then we'll be going on from there about you know getting really deep into the word and, and what do you do with that practically, like when you do get deep in the word. And uh, so, basically, I got I got four main points today. Nothing super crazy here, but I hope some of it is helpful for some of you. Um, and, and most of it's just kind of from my experience of, of growing up in the church. I am a, a kingdom kid. I don't know if anyone else in here is or know what that is, but growing up in the church, it's a cool experience. Um, you know, pros and cons to it, but one thing that uh, has been beneficial for me is that I, I grew up reading the NIV. Uh, it's a translation that I think is probably still the most common we have here. It's it's uh, pretty it's pretty popular. I like it a lot. It makes a lot of sense to me. It's easy for me to read. But sometimes I have found that reading different translations give a deeper insight. You know, more more meaningful understanding of of what I'm looking at here. And um, there's a whole bunch of different translations out there. Just the one that I, I personally like is the uh, English Standard Version. It's, uh, it's, it's very similar to NIV, so I find it very easy to read, very easy to understand, but it has a little bit more of a, a literal translation to it. Now, I know, uh, I was actually talking with Kamara earlier about um, different like translations she likes. There's a whole bunch out there that are even way more literal than the ESV, but this is one that I've liked. I've, I've had some you know uh, benefits with getting some more insight with. And uh, the example I'm going to use for that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. And uh, in the NIV it says, I'm, trying, I'm going to try to quote this off the top of my head, yeah, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but it will not be mastered by anything. Now it's a good verse, and I think most of us kind of get the gist of it, but I don't know about any of you, I've never had a master. You know, I've had teachers, I've had bosses, I've had my parents, people tell me what to do. But these are all situations where, you know, if I don't like my job, I can quit. You know, I'll, I'll graduate to the next class eventually. My parents aren't that mean. You know, it's, it's like, it's stuff where I, I get the idea of what it's talking about, but I, I've never been able to relate to that. I've never had a master. I don't understand what that means. But the ESV basically says the same thing, but it says, instead of I will not be mastered by anything, it says I will not be dominated by anything. Now, I don't know about any of you, I wrestled in high school. Um, wrestling is a lot of fun, but... I definitely was dominated a few times. I know what it's like to be picked up and tossed around and not have any control over what's going on. And you're just like, you know, ragdolling. And, and so when I read that, it was the first time that verse really clicked with me. I was like, oh my goodness, like, I've been dominated. I know exactly what it's like to be dominated. This, this verse, like, now has a lot more meaning to me. And so, and that's just one example, just a 
for me, my, my personal walk with God, but that, you know, the benefits there of reading different translation, getting something that's worded a little bit differently with essentially the same meaning, it might ha- have something click with you, but, you know, that's uh, one, one step to take there. Um, next thing I'd like to talk about is, you know, reading spiritual books that are out there. There's a whole bunch of stuff, and I got a few verses that kind of go along with this, so let's flip over to Proverbs 9, 9 real quick. And Proverbs 9, 9 says, Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. And then you got um, Philippians 3, verse 17. Sure thing. I will. I will speak up. Um, so Philippians three, verse seventeen. Let's see. We have join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. And then uh, third verse, we got Romans fifteen, verse fourteen. Romans fifteen, verse fourteen. It says. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. And uh, spiritual books are out there. If if you have you know have not read it, if you if you've read the Bible, and you're like, what does this mean? Um, there are some really great books out there. Topics, many topics, written by uh, some very wise people that devoted a lot of time uh, to those topics. And um, now I will stress that. Reading a even a very well written spiritual book is not a replacement for the Bible. Yeah. Ultimately, the Bible is God's word, and a good book, you know, is a good book and it might have a lot of insight. But at the end of the day, it is a person's word. But um, it can be useful for getting insight to the lessons learned by others. Um, I, I enjoy history, and there's a, uh, a guy by the name of Otto von Bismarck. Um, his, his nickname was the Iron Chancellor. He was this guy during the Prussian and uh, early German Empire where uh, you can, you can look back historically and see that he influenced basically like the last 150 years of Western civilization. So he's a pretty smart guy. He kind of knew what he was doing with a lot of stuff. Um, and he has this quote where he says, Only a fool learns from his own mistakes. The wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And, uh, and so I, 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 there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of good books out there where people will tell you, Hey, all, here's all the mistakes I made. Learn from me. And, um, and, and you know, likewise, I think, and I'll get to this topic a little bit later, but there's also really good, you know, there's people in our lives. We disciples run a church, and you know, you can learn from other people's lives and like, hey, how does this verse in the Bible talking about whatever topic I'm struggling with, how does this apply to your life, and how can I use this to apply to mine? You know? And I think um, another very useful thing about books, and this is something, you know, if you're, again, if you're into history, uh, I really enjoy this, but it gives you a, a deeper historical context. Now, uh, Mark will be talking about this a lot more in depth later, but Getting a good historical context can help give you a little more understanding of what were they talking about when they said certain things in the Bible. And my, my personal favorite, and honestly, I, I can't remember, and I apologize, I cannot remember what book this is from, but it's a book about Revelations, and I'm sure you can actually find this in a few different sources. But um, go to Revelations chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. Talking about the uh, church in Laodicea. And it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Revelations 3, verses 15 through 16. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. 
And uh, I know that's a, a verse that I heard a lot growing up in the context of, you know, you want to be hot, you want to be fired up. Like, that's a good thing, but you don't want to be cold because being cold is indifferent, it's closed off, it's uncaring, unresponsive. And, and I get that, that makes sense to me, but um, historically, and this is something, a book that covered Revelations, historically, Laodicea um, was known for a couple different things. One is that it had hot springs there that were rejuvenating and healing. It's a very good thing. But also, too, it had aqueducts that brought water in from the mountains, and it was cold, refreshing water. And so in this sense, being cold is actually a good thing. It's like, hey, either be rejuvenating and healing or be refreshing. Don't just be sitting around doing nothing, being tepid and gross. And so, and so in, this, in this sense, historically, it gives, gives a little bit broader understanding of what they were talking about because being cold is actually, hey, it's actually a good thing because people enjoy, I mean, I don't know about you, I'd prefer drinking cold water to hot water. I don't know, it's just me. But, uh, so yeah, getting a, a deeper historical understanding, and there's a lot of books that break down historically what's going on in the Bible so that some of it can make more sense. So that, that's another good place to get started. Um, okay, so the third point I'm going to make, and I say this with tons of caveats, I'm going to explain it later, and I don't have any verses to back this up, so take it for what it's worth. But sometimes I use Google, okay? And, uh, yeah. I don't want to blow anyone's mind, but it, it exists. Um, yeah, so, so there it is. And that's basically where I got my whole lesson. Thank you. Um, no, it's good. Um, so with Google, though, you know, obviously not everything that's on the Internet is true. I think most of us know that. But it is useful. I have found it's useful for some quick basic knowledge of the Bible. Um, so I have this this brick right here that I have the Bible. And it's really cool because it... it it, you know, it breaks down, like, hey, what different verses mean at the beginning of each chapter. It talks about who wrote it, why it was written, etc. But if you don't have access to something like that, a book or a Bible that already has information, Google is great for that. Um, you can uh, basically learn a lot of just basic information about what is this book in the Bible about. Um, I had the opportunity a few years ago to do a series of mini lessons about essentially what the Old Testament is about. And Google is great for that because you can, um, it, it, it personally helped me kind of, Put into words the information I had, but also, like I said, if you don't if you don't have even like starter understanding of a lot of this stuff, you can go there and I stress you know get multiple sources. But you can go there and you can get um, do a quick Google search and find three or four different pages that more or less say the same thing. And you know, okay, it's probably pretty decent. But again, this is just for sorry, there's a spider on the podium. This is just for uh, basic information. I, I do not go to Google for any deeper spiritual understanding. Like I cannot stress that enough. Like. There's people in your life, there's other disciples that if you want a deeper spiritual understanding, talk to them about stuff or read the Bible. But like Google, like I said, basic information. Um, and, and do be careful. Like I said, I always try to go for like three to four sources on something that yeah. more or less say the same thing so I know, you know, you can get one crazy out of left field website, but getting a few that, again, just basic information isn't, isn't bad. Um, there was one time when I was... Um, looking up some notes, I, I, I think it was on Ezekiel, don't quote me on that, but anyway, I was reading a few different websites, and I got to like this third website, and more or less it had pretty good information, and then all of a sudden it started talking about stuff that I had no idea what I was talking about, and you know, I'm not, I'm not a genius, I, I don't know the Bible back to front, but I've been, been around the Bible long enough where I could kind of know, like, I've never heard of this guy or this concept in the Bible, it didn't make any sense, but then I looked up at the website it was from, and it was a Mormon website, and I'm like, okay, so they're talking about stuff that is in the Mormon Bible, but not in the Bible Bible. Um, so definitely be careful if you do that. But um, 
So kind of covering that again, like look for multiple sources, use it for basic knowledge, pay attention to the sources you're, you're getting there. And, but for spiritual insight, read the Bible, talk to other disciples. Um, but it, like I said, it is useful for basic knowledge. And my, my fourth and final point um, is I don't have a good, you know, the other one was like, you know, translations, books, Google. This one was like study with others, journaling. I don't have a really good title for it, but um, let's turn over to Luke chapter 2, verse 46, real quick. All right, and so um, this is, uh, you know, Jesus, when he was a boy, he had been separated from his parents for a few days, and when they finally found him, he was in the temple. And uh, verse 46, it says, After three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. So, you know, Jesus the guy that, you know, has saved our souls, at one point in his life, he was asking other people questions. He was getting knowledge from other, other disciples, or other, other people that, you know, had knowledge of the Bible. I guess they weren't technically disciples back then, but... Um, and so, you know, if Jesus is doing this, how much more useful is it for us to, you know, be willing to learn, you know? Uh, get, you know, use the wisdom that other people have. Be humble and, and learn like that. Um, now, I did, I did a quick count before this lesson, but there's about like a billion different verses about one another relationships in the Bible. And so, it's, a, it's apparent there that, you know, we should include one another in our lives. The Bible just talks about it so much. You see examples of even Jesus doing it, learning from others. So it's pretty apparent that we should include one another in our spiritual lives. Now, I, I have personally found that times when I read the Bible, specifically to talk about it with someone immediately afterwards, or to write about it afterwards. It helps me to, I guess, analyze it deeper, to think about it more, to be more critical in my reading of it, because I immediately have to go, you know, back up what I was just talking about, or what I was just reading. And um, and so, you know, having those, like, having quiet times with other disciples, like, for me personally, that, that's, it's, one another stuff is a, is a big struggle, because I like to do things on my own, which is how I am, but it is so beneficial to sit down with others and to talk about what you just learned so that it can, it can sink in and soak in. And, uh, you know, really encourage you to think critically and hopefully, you know, pull on to some of the, the knowledge that you just got from reading the Bible. Now, ultimately, like I said earlier, the Bible is the Word of God. Nothing else is going to replace it. But if, you know, if you're, if you're new to the Bible or maybe if you feel like you've just gotten a rut, these right there are just a few sources that you can use to kind of kind of start working, you know. I don't know about you. Has it? We're talking about, you know, digging for treasure. Hey, anyone here dug a hole before? Yep. All right. Has anyone not dug a hole? You should try it. It's awesome. <laughs> Dig a hole is okay. But I don't know about you. You know, I've been to the beach. I've dug holes in my backyard when I wasn't supposed to. You know, all sorts of stuff. You can, you have everything you need right here to dig a hole. It doesn't make it easy. You know, because you got all sorts of rocks. you got to break through the top layer of soil. But... If you get a shovel, you get some tools, it makes it a little bit easier to dig that hole to get started. And so the, the stuff I just talked about, that's your shovel. There's your tools to get started, just you know, start moving down that path a little deeper understanding. So hopefully, if you're new to reading the Bible, something that was helpful, or if you maybe feel like you've been in a rut lately and you're thinking, I need something to get me kick-started, try some of that stuff. Read, read a spiritual book, start talking to other disciples more about what you're reading, you know, stuff like that. Try a different translation. I just hope some of that is uh, helpful for you. And uh, now... Um, you know, nothing's going to replace the Bible, but now I'm going to pass over to Mark, and we'll go from there. Thanks, Thomas. Um, reading the Bible and studying the Bible isn't easy. 
It's a much more complex, ambiguous, and dense form of literature than we assume. The overall biblical story is made up of multiple sub-stories, and our job is to discover the connections that unite the whole piece. The Bible is actually an ancient library of 66 books and letters, written by approximately 40 different authors, covering a period of 1,500 years in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The Bible is a unique kind of literature which was written in a particular part of the world during a specific period of time and written to a particular group of people. This, the unique aspect of this ancient Jewish literature is that Eastern Jewish literature lacks details and character development that modern Western readers, us, expect. This makes it difficult to hold a Western readers' attention because we want to be entertained. If we're not entertained, we have a tendency to get bored. <laughs> so, and the Bible was not written for entertainment purposes. Our modern literary practices adopted and developed the Greek storytelling tendency of loading a story with lots of details. For this reason, when Hollywood makes a movie about a biblical story, they have to add many details and character development to make the story entertaining. So I think of the Exodus and Noah and the Passion. I tend to be real critical because it's not very biblically accurate because of all the added details that they put into it. So this lack of details and character development should cause the reader to ask a lot of questions. Asking these questions forces us to seek and search for answers in order to make sense of it all. Take the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. We tend to ask the questions, where did the serpent come from? Uh, Serpents don't talk, so how does it speak? Why did God allow it to be there? Why did God put the tree in the garden? What kind of fruit was it? Where was the garden located? These are common questions that we, we want to ask about that story. But this lack of information forces you to keep reading and to see the larger picture by interpreting each part in light of the other parts and each story in light of the other stories. This dense way of writing pushes you to slow down and read more carefully. The idea of reading the Bible in a year or 90 days can be useful in getting an overall summary of the story, but we tend to read real fast so we can get through it, so we can get to work, we can get to our video games, we can watch our TV shows, and we don't get the depth of what is intended by the story. This is why the Bible is called Jewish Meditation Literature. This is an interactive discovery process which happens over a lifetime of reading and rereading the Bible. The Jewish example of disciples and rabbis shows us that we are to be students, which means we need somebody to teach us in order to learn the purposes and lessons of the Bible. Also, the Jews did not read and study the Bible, the scriptures alone. They had study partners, study partners called Havarim. Having a study partner gives you someone to bounce ideas off of, to argue with, and learn from each other. Psalms 1, 1 to 3 gives us the ideal Bible reader. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on the law day and night. 
That, pers that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That word meditate is the word chagah. It's a very guttural word. It's a low growling sound that a lion makes as it devours its meal. Um, it's a sound he makes because he's enjoying the meal. And he takes his time and he doesn't stop until he gets full. Uh, it means to mutter or quiet so or speak quietly out loud. When you see Jews praying at the Western Wall, you can see them and hear them muttering quietly to themselves. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly read the Bible out loud to yourself, you devour it, and then you go talk to your friends about it. This interaction helps you to make the connections, discover the meanings, and make sense of puzzling passages. Second Temple Jews, the period surrounding Jesus' lifetime, were textually immersed. They devoured the scriptures. To read the text, to know this text, to study the text, is the ultimate enjoyment to a Jew. Uh, we need to get this same joy and desire to Haggah the scriptures. So next, studying the Jewish context of the scriptures is also necessary to go deeper in your knowledge and understanding of the text. The Bible was written by Hebraic Jews to Hebraic Jews. We don't always realize that their Jewish heritage is our heritage as the church. Because the book was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, it had to be translated to English in order for us to understand it. But just as American English has its slang and euphemisms, these foreign languages have their own euphemisms. Even rabbinic language has phrases when translated into English can have a completely different meaning from the intended Jewish understanding. Uh, examples of English euphemisms are beach twelve. You know, we tend to think of that as being extremely obese. To bite the dust means to die. A bun in the oven means to be pregnant. Um, a dear John means that you're breaking up with somebody. And to fall off the wagon means you start drinking again. So just like English has its euphemisms, Hebrew has its euphemisms. In Matthew 5, 17, where Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, that phrase, fulfill the law, is rabbinic language, meaning to correctly interpret the law. Why do we need to correctly interpret the law? So we can correctly obey the law. The phrase, abolish the law, is rabbinic language, meaning to misinterpret the law. So why did Jesus have to correctly interpret the law? Because the Jews had been misinterpreting the law, which caused them to incorrectly obey the law. So that, the, that word law is the Hebrew word Torah. Uh, the Western idea of law is that it's a codified set of rules and regulations. That's how we understand law. But the Eastern Hebraic meaning is that it's teaching it's instructions, it's guidance, it's counsel. So the Jews understand Torah as God's instructions of how to walk with God. Even that phrase, walk with God, has a different meaning. It means your life journey, how you live your life. So all this led Jewish leaders to ask the question in Matthew 
21-23, By what authority are you doing these things? And since Jesus was a rabbi, we need to understand that there are two types of rabbis. The teacher of the law was your common everyday rabbi. And then there was a rabbi with smicha. The teacher of the law could only teach what his community believed. He could not bring new teachings. On the other hand, a teacher with smicha could bring new teaching. Smicha in Jesus', Jesus day meant to have authority. But it wasn't authority as being a boss or having power and control over someone. It referred to the idea that when a teacher with smicha interpreted the law, he was speaking God's interpretation. So if you're speaking for God, then everyone must listen to you, which would threaten the Jewish leader's position and status. So to rephrase what Jesus was saying, he was saying, being authorized by God, being authorized to speak for God, I came to correctly interpret God's instructions of how to orient your life journey around God. The Jewish leaders had misinterpreted the law by making it a set of rules and regulations in order to be saved. And it didn't take very long for Christian for Christianity to involve it to evolve into this same way of interpreting God's instructions. So as we continue to go deeper, it's helpful to look at the rabbinic teaching styles of Jesus in order to better understand what he was teaching. The parables were a common teaching tool of the rabbi. Most of the parables which Jesus used were not original to him. One of the parables that stands out most when discussing how Jesus used other rabbis' parables is the prodigal son. Both parables, Jesus and the traditional, start off the same way. But when the son is returning home in the traditional parable, the father does not run down the road and meet him, does not shower him with love, he stays inside the house. The son knocks on the door, the father opens it, and with tears in his eyes, he says, you've left community, you're no longer welcome, and he shuts the door. And that's the end of the parable. In Jesus, in the Jewish mind, the sin of the son was not riotous living and debauchery, but it was leaving community and trying to make it on his own. So Jesus reinterpreted this parable to say that although you'd left community, you're welcome back with open arms. Instead of a cold, legalistic adherence to tradition, Jesus is teaching love, mercy, grace, and compassion as the heart of God. And he also adds the part about the other son uh, with a teaching that, you know, don't be like your brother. Come in, celebrate his return along with the rest of the community. Another rabbinic teaching style is called allusion. Remez is the Hebrew word which means a clue or a hint. Jesus uses this technique in the story of the adulterous woman in John 8, 3-11. This is the story of Jesus bending down and writing on the ground. As Westerners, we want to know what he's writing. But that really doesn't matter. What matters is what his audience sees him doing. They see him writing on the ground. They realize this is a clue to answering their question. Uh, 
which pushes them into the Hebrew text to find the answer. As Jewish leaders, they know there are only two places in the Hebrew Scriptures where writing on the ground occurs. One of these is Jeremiah 17.13, which says, Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust, because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Jesus uses this Scripture as a clue to get them to to Jeremiah 17. But this is not the answer. This is not Jesus' answer to their question. He wants them to go to verse 10, which says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Jesus is saying, those who brought the woman before him for judgment deserve the same judgment for their sins that they're seeking for her. So once they understand this teaching, they walk away. But there's also a lesson for the woman in verses 17 to 18. Do not be a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let my prosecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. Let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. So to wrap things up, we've discussed three ways to go deeper. Number one is to understand the Bible as Jewish meditation literature. To read it out loud. uh, To slow down. To ask questions. To enjoy it. And to haggad it. Uh, Second is to realize that learning the Jewish context makes a huge difference in your knowledge and understanding of scriptures. And finally, understanding the rabbinic teaching styles Jesus used really helps to make sense of many difficult passages in Jesus' teaching. Thank you, and next is Camille. Well, I think they've done a great job so far. I don't have much to say after everybody's been speaking. I have a question for you guys. Who has ever tried to find hidden treasure? I'm impressed. Okay. I'm impressed. He talked about digging a hole. I didn't do all those things. But what I did do growing up was play hide-go-seek. Who played hide-go-seek? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a full audience for that one. The cool thing about hide-go-seek is that, A, sometimes you have people who hide who is quite obvious. And you're like, oh, that was no work at all. And then you have people who really work hard to baffle you. And you look longer and longer. And sometimes you may get frustrated and you may want to give up trying to find this person. And as soon as you're about to give up, lo and behold, there they are. And for me, when I was thinking about um, digging deeper in God's word, I thought about high-go-seek with God. Digging deeper is the best high-go-seek game you'll ever play in your life. Sometimes God is real obvious. He's in plain sight. And as Mark already alluded to, sometimes he's more complex, and you have to pull things together. You have to seek a little bit longer. But God is still there. That's the great thing about it. And it's kind of neat because everything that Mark and Thomas shared, it all intertwines. And that is when we are seeking God, when we are looking at his word, there's three things that we do to ensure that we're growing and being healthy in him. The one thing that I haven't heard just yet, so this is my cool new point. So listen real good. 
which is prayer. Prayer is essential when you're digging in God's word. I encourage you, as you're praying, praying that God expose yourself to me in ways that I've never seen before. Let your Bible come alive. Let me understand. Let me receive what you have in your word. Help me to not overlook it. Help me not to bury my interpretations in it, but to have a clear distinction of who you are and what you mean to me. Help me to fall in love with you. Help me to see the connections between Jesus and my salvation and heaven. Help me to immerse myself in that. And more importantly, grant me wisdom. You know, as the Mark shared and as Thomas shared, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of tools. Everyone has an opinion. But how do you decipher what is God's word? Prayer. Asking God to make it clear that what I'm reading is what I need in my spirit. The second thing, which is always a great thing, and we talked about those with the tools, um, I would like to add a little tidbit in as you're researching and using tools. I personally do not like free tools. And the reason that is, is because usually free tools mean it's someone's opinion who really wanted to get it out. So I encourage you to find materials where you see people engaging with one another, as they alluded to in terms of that conversation, where they're not afraid to pull from others and grow and learn and extrapolate God's word. A second thing in that is, as everyone alluded to, historical context. What was going on? Why was it being written? Why do I need to know this piece of history so that I can apply the Bible correctly in my life? Those are very important things. And third is having resources where they're not afraid to go to the original language. You may never learn Hebrew. You may never learn Greek. But the original language is so much different than our westernized thought process. And sometimes what happens when they try to translate so we get it, it loses the power of God. It minimizes the depth that he is trying to embrace us with. Right? So those are some little tidbits that you can use as a Lipton's test as you're using these tools to deepen your understanding. Again, is it um, more resources? Are they bouncing off of each other? You know, is it not necessarily free and jaded by one perspective? Um, again, is it um, using or going back to the original language and having historical context? The third thing, which is my favorite, and this is also part of high go seek, you know, when you have that person that you can't find, is that, again, you have to spend time. And one of the things that I remember, because actually this week when I was reading my Bible, I've been studying out the book of Matthew for, I think, about a month now. I usually go very slow, so thank you for reiterating that. Because I feel like I have my lifetime to be a disciple. There, there's no need to rush um, growing in God. Because, you know, you'll be a disciple for 20 years, you're like, dang, I'm still learning. Yeah. Oh, I'm still being refined. Didn't I get this by now? No. Uh, so take your time. But one of the things that I was reading this week was uh, Jesus being on the mountain and praying with God all night. He spent all night in prayer after, well, in Matthew's interpretation, he says that he had fed the 5,000. He got away and he prayed. Mark, it doesn't say that. But, um... 
he went after doing that time or, you know, connecting with people, he went and spent time with God. And he stayed up there all night. And some scriptures allude to that, you know, he cried out with large, loud prayers and supplication before God, submitting his spirit before God. But this time when I read it this week, I was quite amazed at what happened after he spent all that time with God. What happened afterwards is that he saw his disciples on the boat who was terrified of the storm. And so Jesus, because Jesus is cool. Like he's the coolest guy in the Bible. So Jesus, instead of coming down off the mountain, getting on the boat, rowing, yeah, he was like, no, I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk on the water and I'm going to connect with these disciples who at this particular point are full of fear. And when I saw that, I was actually amazed because I thought, huh, did he calm down and walk on water because he just spent all that time with God? Did he calm down being illuminated, being full with his time with God? That he was trying to tell others who I am as the son of man. That I am different. I am unique. You know, I am the one who's going to calm the storm. And so when we dig deeper in the word, sometimes it takes time. You can't do it in 15 minutes. Sometimes God is like, spend time with me. Seek me. And when we are in those moments where we're spending those hours, two hours, meditating and praying... We're being filled with his spirit. We're connecting with him. We're able to see that we are different. We're able to see and know that we're being transformed by him. And in that transformation, you leave being different. You leave ready to share the gospel with people. You leave ready to inspire and motivate people. So digging deeper is actually, even though it may seem like, oh, it's a lot of work. It's actually for your benefit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it keeps us sane. Like, I know for myself, when I'm not reading, I get just a little crazy. <laughs> it is it's actually quite embarrassing, some of the things I think about. And it's kind of embarrassing how selfish I become. But when I'm able to go back and reconnect with God, when I'm able to study Him out and digest Him and find Him when I need Him, Great things happen. So, in conclusion, we've heard a lot of great things today. But as you dig deeper, remember praying. Remember using great tools and making sure that they're wise tools. That's where prayer kind of helps in distinguishing that. And finally, do not be afraid to spend time with God. So, thank you. We're in with Thomas. So, um, we intended to have a little bit of time for a question and answer. It's, it's a little, the class is actually technically over right now, but if we've got a couple questions anybody has out there for us, feel free to, to ask or come up and ask, ask afterwards. But anything really pressing?